Today on the Matt Wall Show, the media celebrates the youngest trans model in the country. The child is only 10, and his story, far from inspirational, is tragic and terrifying. Also, after a disastrous career, Dr. Fauci finally decides to go away, sort of. A university sets up black-only housing to protect black students from white violence, they say. The Toronto police brag about seizing a firearm that was manufactured during the French and Indian War. Michael Jackson fans are mad at Harry Styles. And in our daily cancellation, can college students name our country's capital? Do they even know that we have a capital? We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. In a society rife with anti-religious ideologies, like the ones we hear from the left on a daily basis, it can be incredibly challenging to ground oneself in what we know to be true and good. To keep from descending into distrust, frustration, or even hatred, that's why I find God's peace every day through prayer and meditation with Hallow. Hallow is the number one Christian prayer app in the U.S. and the number one Catholic app in the world. It's rooted in Catholic tradition, but it's an amazing resource for any Christian looking to dive deeper into their prayer life. Hallow has prayers and meditations to guide you throughout the entire day, morning to night. And this week, Hallow is launching its exclusive athlete prayers. Join some of the best Christian athletes in the world, like Brett Favre and Lou Holtz, for some uh, motivational and inspirational meditations to help you get off your lazy butt and get to the gym or train for a race or a sport. Hallow now not only will help your spiritual health, it will also help your physical health as well. Let Hallow help you find your peace and strength throughout your day. Try it for three months free at hallow.com slash Matt Walsh or text pray to 1-855-944-5684. That's hallow.com slash Matt Walsh or text pray to 1-855-944-5684 for three months free. Reclaim your peace in this crazy world. Download Hallow today. Back in October of 2020, a woman named Sarah Melger brought her uh, then one-month-old baby to the hospital, reporting that, that the child suffered from a number of uh, serious health problems. She said that he wouldn't eat, and he was uh, constantly vomiting. She had told the child's father that he had a fever of 102.5, which is a dangerous temperature for a child that age. Uh, she said that he had heart defects. She told other family members that the baby suffered from hearing problems as well as um, Down syndrome. Twice over the course of two months, the hospital performed spinal taps on the baby, inserting a needle in between two vertebrae to test him for sepsis. A couple of months later, she was back at the hospital frantically claiming that the child wouldn't eat and he was dehydrated, so a feeding tube was inserted. Over time, the stories about the child's medical problems became increasingly dramatic and disturbing and also fictional. There was no sepsis, there was no fever, there was no vomiting or hearing problems or eating problems. The child didn't have Down syndrome. Sarah Melger had made all of that up. It was Munchausen by proxy, a disorder where a caretaker, almost always a mother, pretends that a child is sick. And she, she does this for attention or for sympathy, maybe because she derives some sort of sick satisfaction from watching her child suffer. Perhaps it's a combination of these things. Whatever her twisted reasons, Melger was eventually arrested and charged, and finally this summer convicted of three counts of injury to a child. Now, her sentence, community supervision, was outrageously lenient, but at least she won't be able to contact her child, who certainly is better off now, never seeing his deranged, abusive mother ever again. But Munchausen takes other more pervasive and even more disturbing forms. Worst of all, these other forms that it takes are perfectly legal by the standards of our laws today. More than legal, actually, they're celebrated. They may even result in a modeling contract. 
So this month, a 10-year-old boy named Noella McMahon has been uh, making headlines as the youngest, quote, trans model in the country. Now, of course, it would be creepy and inappropriate to put a 10-year-old on the runway no matter what, you know, whether, uh, whether, the, whether it's a boy or a girl. And most everyone agrees in most situations that it's creepy and inappropriate as things like, you know, child beauty pageants have finally fallen out of favor in recent years, and rightfully so. But exceptions are made for cases like this boy because he allegedly does not identify as a boy. You know, in our culture, it is wildly offensive to dress little girls up in lots of makeup and parade them around, and it should be seen as offensive, but it's beautiful and brave to do the exact same thing to a little boy. Outlets like Out Magazine have been raving about Noella. Reading now from uh, their article says, 10-year-old Noella McMahon is already making her dreams come true. Six years after she began transitioning, six years, okay, the child is 10, Noella has made history as the youngest out trans model ever to walk a runway during New York Fashion Week when she walked from designer Mel Atkinson and trans clothing company. Walked for them, rather. Noella doesn't ever get nervous or scared by anything. She's a tiny professional, Noella's mother, Dee McMahon, told Metro UK. She was so excited to go down the catwalk, excited to see all the people and the cameras. She knows exactly how to work a crowd. We are so proud of Noella for being the first trans child in New York Fashion Week. We're in awe of her confidence and determination, she continued. Noella already has so many transgender people of all ages. Contact her for advice and support. A 10-year-old is being asked for advice and support. Indeed, people of all ages, adults even, apparently, are consulting this prepubescent child for advice. Now, I suppose it's no surprise that a mother would put her child in the position of providing guidance to adults, given that she's already put him in the position of being a runway model. Speaking of the mother, the uh, glowing media profiles seem oddly reluctant to tell us much about the child's home life. They tell us a little bit, some of the basics. But what exactly is going on at home? And when you investigate the subject, you immediately understand why they're so hesitant. The website Redux has a report today revealing some of the rather dark details about what uh, Noella is dealing with at home. Here's what they report. At age four, Noella was socially transitioned. It was around this time that Noella's mother said that uh, she brought the child to therapy at the Gender Development Clinic at Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. During the appointments, Noella told a gender counselor that he was a girl. By age six, Noella's legal documentation had already been changed. Dee McMahon, Noella's biological mother, is a social justice advocate who identifies as non-binary, appears to be on hormone replacement therapy, and recently had a cosmetic mastectomy. Both she and her current partner are females who identify as trans-masculine. According to the Point Foundation website, McMahon has been an advocate and educator for transgender children for 10 years, roughly since around the time Noella was born. In 2019, McMahon and Noella were featured in People's World during a legal episode in which McMahon was fighting for full custody of her child from her biological father, uh, Timothy McCord, or from his biological father, rather. The report goes on to reveal that McCord, the father, did not agree uh, with his son's transition, didn't agree that his son was transgender. He opposed the transition, but he lost the ability to prevent it in 2016 after McMahon claimed that the father fractured the boy's arm while trying to force him into, quote, boy pajamas. 
McCord was arrested for child abuse. Uh, McMahon also pressed to have him charged with an anti-trans hate crime. The hate crime charge never materialized, but McCord did plead down to a lesser charge and was given probation. Meanwhile, McMahon, the mother, married a female named Ray, who also identifies as trans and works in the field of, quote, LGBTQ health justice. Now, in 2019, Noella McCord was profiled by the website Chicago Parent under the headline, Seven-Year-Old Stands Up for Transgender Rights. In the article, the mother brags about her trans child, claiming that uh, she transitioned him as a toddler so that he could feel safe and be happy. And she says that her son is brave and fierce and a force to be reckoned with. These are all descriptions that don't describe any seven-year-old I've ever met because seven-year-olds are small children. They are not forces to be reckoned with. But that's how the mother sees the child. He is not a child at all, but a political and ideological cudgel to be wielded. He's a mascot to be paraded around. He is an accessory, a fashion statement. He's also a thing to be experimented on. And on that note, the uh, Chicago Parent article contains this passage. Quote, Dee is looking forward to watching Ella continue to grow and turn into the person she is and was meant to be. In the next few years, she will start puberty blockers and hormones and begin the physical transition process with gender surgeries at 16. So they've already decided for him that he's going to get the drugs and the surgery. They decided this while the child was still in diapers. They shoved him down this path and cut off all the exits by publicly declaring his gender identity to the world and putting him in the position of being an inspiration and a force, you know, and a source of wisdom and guidance for the whole LGBT community. You can't change his mind now. Of course he can't, because he never made up his mind to begin with. This isn't his mind choosing any of this. It's his mother manipulating and controlling him. It is exactly like Sarah Melger, in that case, right down to the unnecessary medical procedures. The only difference is that the typical Munchausen mommy is out for attention and sympathy mainly. And there's an element of that here as well. Certainly Dee McMahon wants attention, no question about that. But she's also looking to her child for something else that I think is a little bit of a twist from the average uh, Munchausen case. She's looking for affirmation. So it is actually not a misnomer to say that when a parent transes a child, she is engaging in the process of affirmation. It's actually true. It is affirmation. But it's affirmation of herself. Not her child. Her child like doesn't even exist to her. Her child has no face, no identity. He's a canvas, a blank screen that his mother projects her fantasies and delusions onto. Nobody exists but to affirm her. This is especially true of her child. She makes her child sick so that she can feel well. And rather than handcuffs and criminal charges, all she gets in response is applause. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, you know, with uh, two 
new babies on the way. It's uh, I'm gonna be going. We're, we're going through a time in our lives when sleep is going to be at a premium, to put it mildly. Which is all the more reason why I am thankful for my Helix mattress. You know, Helix mattress has several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattress is great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. And even a Helix plus-size mattress for plus-sized sleepers. Very important as well to include the plus-size community um, in your mattresses. They also have a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences for the perfect mattress. Because why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? So if you're looking for a mattress, take the quiz, order the mattress, and uh, wait for delivery. It's really as simple as that. Your mattress will come right to your door for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Trust me. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. Their financing options and flexible payment plans make it make it so that a great night's sleep is never far away for anyone. For a limited time, Helix is offering up to $350 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for uh, my listeners. This is their best offer yet, so here, hurry over to helixsleep.com slash Walsh today. Well, another sad day. Uh, first, we lost Jeffrey Tubin, then Brian Stelter, and now Tony Fauci. Um, we are rapidly losing all of our most insufferable douchebags. It's a full-on crisis. I'm really getting worried about Keith Olbermann at this point. I guess we already lost him. He like doesn't. Does, is he even still alive? I'm not sure. Um, so it's it's a, it's a pretty big it's a pretty bad it's a pretty big problem. And uh, CNBC has the report. The nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, plans to step down from his role running the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and advising the White House as its chief medical advisor. At the end of the year, he announced on Monday. Um, and in a statement, he says, after more than 50 years of government service, I plan to pursue the next phase of my career while I still have so much energy and passion for my field. I want to use what I've learned as the director uh, to continue to advance science and public health and to inspire and mentor the next generation of scientific leaders as they help prepare the world to face future infectious disease experts. The next phase of my career is talking like he's like 42 and he's, it, it, it is, and he's making a career change. You're in your 80s. Just go away. Go, go sit on a rocking chair and be retired. Stop inflicting yourself on the rest of the world. It is a, it's an absolute scourge, this, this generation of boomers who've been running the government for like 30 years and they won't let go. They just won't leave us alone. You've done a terrible job, okay? This generation of leaders have just, it's in an unmitigated disaster. You have ruined everything. Everything in the country is worse now than it was when you took over. Yeah, you're like the first generation that's going to leave your kids' generation worse off than you were, poorer than you were. So just leave, please. Not that what we have coming up next is going to be much better, probably, but but even so. Now, I do think that Fauci um, provided a valuable public service in some way, you know, in his career. Not any sort of public health service, right? He's, he's been a disaster, again, on that front. But um, as every crisis that he oversaw only got worse, he made everything worse 100% of the time. But he has provided the service, I think, of showing 
just how power corrupts in the context of a modern bureaucracy, right? So we, we, you know, we know the saying that power corrupts, but when we think of the corrupting influence of power, I think we tend to think about emperors and kings and dictators. We think about like Caligula and Nero or somebody like that. But what Fauci shows us is what it looks like in the context of a modern bureaucracy in a Western country. Looks a little bit different. In that Fauci is this mediocre nobody. He is this utterly unimpressive, talentless, stupid hack. He should be working as a shift supervisor at a rental car agency. With, with all due respect, people who work at rental car agencies, but, th- but that's, that's, that's the world he should be in. But instead, he ended up in the government. And he's just drifting along, failing, failing, failing for 50 years, flubbing his way along flubbing and fumbling. But he stays there because there's no mechanism for getting rid of somebody like that in a bureaucracy. The bureaucracy exists to protect people like that. And so the only person that can make them leave is themselves. He didn't want to do that. And so just it, uh, it just because he's, he lasts the longest, like a war of attrition, he, he just, he just kind of lasts the longest and ends up as the highest paid and most influential guy in the government having not earned any of that prestige or any of that money or any of it. That's the way it works. In a, so it's, it's not unlike um, the kind of corruption that we have seen historically. Maybe the only difference is that never before in history have such mediocre people have been so enabled, you know, to become this powerful. In the past, at least it required, even if you didn't have any governing talent, you had to be, you know, you have to, had to be charismatic or you'd have something that, that, you know, put you in a position of, of having all this power, but, um, but not, not the case anymore. No charisma, not even charisma, nothing, no talent. Fauci, uh, on his way out the door, offered his reflections on what we've learned from the COVID pandemic. And um, no surprise here, he apparently has not learned anything at all. Let's watch. We've been fooled before. We didn't fully appreciate the magnitude of HIV back in the early 80s when I first got involved, when the first cases were recognized. And there were so many things we learned on the run with COVID. I mean, the things that we thought we knew in the beginning turned out as the months went by to not be the case, which really forced us to adapt and to change some of our policies and recommendations. That was interpreted by many as flip-flopping or not really knowing what's going on when it really was the evolution of the science. So one of the lessons that I hope we learn is that we've got to be prepared We've got to be able to respond, but we've also got to be flexible. Oh, we, we, uh, we learned, you know, there, there are things we thought in the beginning, and then, and then we learned, and, and well, uh, you know, Fauci was accused of flip-flop, but he didn't flip-flop. Well, what exactly did we learn that we didn't know at the beginning? Or what did, what did you need to learn? Because... Most of the stuff you're saying we didn't know 
Well, I knew. Almost everyone watching this right now knew. There were like people on Twitter with no special insight into this situation, no medical training, no access, no special access to the data. The only data we had was just what the media told us. And yet we almost immediately said things that it took Fauci two years to say. So how did we know it? Lucky guess? Is that it? That's the, that's the excuse that, that he uses about well, the science changed or what we know about the science changed. But what, how did it change? Many of us said from the very beginning that the social distancing six feet rule makes no sense. It's a totally arbitrary thing that, we've, that, that has been imposed on us for no good reason. And it took a couple of years, and eventually we were told, oh, yeah, well, there's really, there was really no science behind six feet. Like, what, how is, why is six feet a magic number? And especially when the, you know, the, the, not just COVID, but any kind of virus can linger in the air. So you, you stay six feet from someone walking like single file line through a, through a grocery aisle, you know, and it's always like one way. Remember that during COVID? The one way signs in the grocery aisles? Well, if the person in front of you is, is exhaling or they're coughing or whatever, you're going to walk through that mist anyway. What's the six feet going to do for you? Completely arbitrary. Um, many of us from the very beginning said, yeah, these cloth masks everybody are wearing, everybody's wearing, what, what is this going to do exactly? Is the virus not small enough to pass through the fibers of the cotton mask? Took him a long time to finally come around to that. Well, actually not, because Fauci, if you recall, um, he was right about that originally. I think it was in, in uh, March of 2020, he came out and said that the masks aren't really going to do anything for you. The masks, you know, there's no reason to wear the masks. And then a month later, he said, never mind, everybody needs to wear the mask. We went from stop wearing the masks to actually, if you don't, everybody needs to wear them. If you don't wear them, then you're murdering your grandparents. And then about two years later, they circled back around and said, oh, yeah, you know what? The thing we were saying at the very beginning was that was, was basically correct, correct. None of this has anything to do with science. Of course, Fauci knows this. This, is, this was not the process or evolution of science. What it was was the, the evolution of the political evolution. That's what it was. All right, this is from the College Fix. It says, white guests are banned from the common spaces at the Person of Color House, an off-campus housing option for Berkeley students, according to a photo of the guest rules recently posted on Reddit. Under a section labeled Guests in Common Spaces, it states, guests are allowed in common spaces, but please be mindful if there are house members in the room beforehand. White guests are not allowed in common spaces. The uh, POC House states, in part, that many members moved in to be able to avoid white violence and presence. When, and where is this again? This is oh, Berkeley, of course. When students do bring a guest, the rules direct them to announce it in the House guest chat and note if they are white. So if you're in the POC House and you want to bring a white guest, which probably you wouldn't even want to do that because you're only there because you're a racist scumbag, but uh, so when you bring when you bring the white guest, you have to announce 
white guy coming through. I want to know what exactly is the announcement. What, do you, what are you supposed to say? White. We got a white. But it's not just white guests who are unwelcome. Um, it says, avoid bringing parents and family members that express bigotry. Queer, black, and indigenous members should not have to avoid common spaces because of homophobic or racist parents and family members. <laughs> now, uh, like it, of course, goes without saying that it, it's unthinkable that any university in the country would have a White House-only setup. Um, that could not exist. You know, if there was a university that had... Um, they had the, the the house for the POC house, right? So they got the black house, and then they also set up a white house and they called it that. The house for the white people would be burned to the ground, and nobody who set it on fire would go to jail for it. Like they could just set it on fire with people inside. They could actually, you could have the white people in the in the house for white people inside it, burn it to the ground and kill everybody, and no one respond who did it would go to even jail, go to jail for it. But it wouldn't come to that because it's unthinkable, right? We live in a supposedly, supposedly uh, systemically racist society, systemically racist against black people, and yet it is unthinkable that any institution would ever set up anything specifically for white people. And yet they do this, you know, for, quote, POC all the time. It's wildly illegal. Like you, it, it's completely illegal. Uh Racial segregation in housing is illegal. But as we have seen, especially recently and frequently, you know, the laws are just not enforced if you're on the left. And that's what systemic privilege really is. There is systemic privilege. Um, it's not really determined by race. It's, it's, it is, it, it's partially identity-based. You're more likely to take to um, be able to take advantage of systemic privilege if you have identity points, black, gay, trans, whatever. But really, it's ideological, most of all. Because something tells me that even in the POC house, right, they say this is no, this is open for uh, people of color. But something tells me that if that I don't know if um, if Candace Owens decided she wanted to attend Berkeley, which would be pretty funny. I don't think she'd be welcome in the POC house. Something tells me. This is also, by the way, the definition of gaslighting. You know, this, we, we, we're constantly told about white violence and that um, racial minorities have to stay away from white people because they're afraid of the violence they'll inflict. Total gaslighting. We hear that phrase all the time, but this is actually gaslighting. There is, you know, if you're a, a, a black person, the chance that you're going to be the victim of violence, that you're going to be vic- that you're going to become the victim of a violent attack from a white person, is almost non-existent. It is almost certainly not going to happen. It's of all the things you have to worry about, an attack from a white person is like is I don't even know if it makes it into the top 100. It's not impossible, but it's almost certainly not going to happen. And as everyone knows who's looked at the statistics, if you are a black person and you become the victim of violence, it is almost definitely going to be 
another black person who inflicts that on you. That's just what the statistics tell you. And they also tell you that statistically, a black person is much more likely to violently attack a white person than the other way around. Okay, the data doesn't lie here. It is what it is. And yet, in spite of that, the only thing we ever hear about is white violence. All right, here's an update on a story we talked about yesterday. It says, this is from the Daily Wire, it says, The school administrator for a devoutly Christian Florida school says he and his family have received numerous violent threats because of the school's firm stand affirming biblical morality. Grace Christian School has stood firm in its stance asking LGBTQ students to leave and referring to students only by their biological sex. Um, Administrator Barry McKean wrote parents on January, on June 6th, rather, well, I read this to you, saying that, um, you know, this is God created mankind in his image, male and female, he created them, which means that there's only two biological sex, sexes, and that's the only thing we recognize, and we're only going to recognize a child according to their biological sex, not according to their uh, gender fluid notions or whatever else. And that's what they announced. And now, um, this, uh, this administrator has been targeted for violence and, or, or threats of violence and death threats and everything else, which rings completely true to me. I have no doubt at all that he's getting um, messages and, and, and things like that because I get them all the time. And, you know, of all the things that you can come out and say publicly or all the positions that you can adopt publicly, the one that's most likely to provoke death threats is, uh, you know, if you're criticizing the LGBT community, especially anything to do with trans. And given that he's instating this policy in his school and actually kicking kids out if they're not going to abide by it, then, yeah, you can only imagine. I can only imagine what his inbox looks like. I can only imagine what might actually happen to this school. Talk about getting burned to the ground. And one of the reasons why you get this violent response is that um, the message from our culture like justifies the violence from LGBT people by telling them that, well, if somebody criticizes you or someone doesn't agree with your lifestyle, then they are, they are a threat to your existence. They're genocidal. They're, gonna, they're, 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 they're killing you somehow. By someone simply stating their opinion about the trans stuff, if they don't agree with it, then they are killing you. That's the message. Which obviously sets the groundwork for the person who's being violently attacked by an opinion to respond violently and then claim self-defense. All right, I want to show this to you. I thought this was pretty great. Um, The Toronto police will often post photos bragging about the guns that they take off the street, you know, making the community safer and all that. And here's the latest uh, seizure. And as you can see, it's a gun from the Cretaceous period that they've managed to take off the streets. The gun, I mean, it's, it is literally fossilized, okay? They took a fossilized gun off the streets, and they're <laughs> bragging about it. I'm glad we have it now. I am glad, because now we can finally, uh, we finally have the evidence to put that woolly mammoth in prison. It is, it's just absurd. This is, this is the weapon that was used to kill the dinosaurs, right there. 
I know I'm mixing all the prehistoric eras together here with dinosaurs and woolly mammoths, but you know, you get the point. Just glad, finally glad that that weapon that was last, when was the last time that that weapon was actually used? All joking aside. Maybe a hundred years ago? At the most recent? All right. um, Rolling Stone has provoked some outrage this week with um, a new cover, which is uh, the Harry Styles cover. And as you can see, the outrage, it's not because he looks incredibly stupid. He's got, I don't know what he's got, some kind of sequenced uh, boxers on and a fur coat holding a birthday cake. And anyway, it says, Harry Styles, how the new king of pop set the music world aflame. And that's what upsets people, is that he says that's king of pop. And this is a controversy now because it's, it's appropriating from Michael Jackson. So Newsweek has the report. It says, Harry Styles has inadvertently upset passionate Michael Jackson fans after a magazine referred to him as the new king of pop. Jackson's fans and even his nephew, Taj Jackson, voiced their displeasure at Styles' new apparent title. The October-slash-November issue of Rolling Stone UK magazine features uh, former One Direction singer Styles on the front cover, where he's awarded his new royal title. Uh, But people are very upset about that. Thousands upon thousands of Jackson fans spoke out on Twitter. Quote, there is no new king of pop. You don't own the title, Rolling Stone, and you didn't earn it. My uncle did. Michael Jackson's nephew, Taj, wrote on Twitter, retweeting the cover shoot. Decades of dedication and sacrifice This title has been retired. No disrespect to Harry Styles. He's mega talented. Give him his own unique title. Community actress uh, Yvette Nicole Brown weighed in and says, um, agrees with that, and then a bunch of other people. Okay, whatever. People are upset. A bunch of Michael Jackson fans are very upset about this because Michael Jackson is the king of pop. Just two things I wanted to point out here. First of all, Michael Jackson was a pedophile so he doesn't deserve to retain any titles at all, okay? So that just getting offended on his behalf, he's a dead pedophile. And so to take away all his titles. I mean, we, we rip down monuments left and right. And we're ripping down monuments, taking the founding fathers' names off of school buildings and everything else. And yet we're still worried about protecting the good name of a monstrous freak pedophile. Here's the thing about Michael Jackson. There was nothing good about him, but he could dance. That's it. He just, he was a good dancer. And he made some songs that were kind of catchy. I'll give him that. Um, And then he also raped children. So... I, I'm not sure how I see the, the, good, the good dancing outweighs the raping of children. And on top of that, he was just a freak. So if we're, look, if we were deciding as a society to just sort of leave history alone and, uh, and not rip down the monuments and statues and everything like that, then maybe I would say that, yeah, Michael Jackson was a pedophile freak and a child abuser, but, uh, okay, he was awarded the title King of Pop, and sure, he can keep it because that's what... But uh, we can't have it both ways here. Like, if we're going back in history and we're, we, we are um, taking superlatives away from people and reevaluating them and, and, and taking away their honorifics because of the bad things they did, then I'm not sure how we gloss over Michael Jackson. 
Second point, though, is that I actually agree that Harry Styles is not the king of pop. Um, you know, I, I've never even heard a Harry Styles song, I don't think. I, I don't think I've ever, I couldn't, I certainly couldn't name for you one Harry Styles song. I couldn't tell you, if I heard, if I heard him singing, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you that it was him. Um, because even though he's massively successful and famous and millions of people have heard his music, apparently, he doesn't have the kind of cultural impact that Michael Jackson did have um, or that Elvis had before him. And that's just because that's the culture we live in now. It's just not, it's not possible for anyone to have that kind of impact anymore. Everything is just sort of fractured into a million pieces. And there are a million celebrities. And it's like anyone, and fame is so cheap now. Anyone can be famous. Anyone can make something and, and, and put it out there and, 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 you know, millions of people will encounter it. There are, um, you know, I was very happy when I crossed a million subscribers on YouTube. It was a, it was a big accomplishment for me. There are YouTube channels out there with 100 million subscribers. Like 50 million, 100 million and then you go and you check out those channels, and there's there's nothing there. Like there, there are channels where they, they all they do is reactions, and so they watch other people's videos, and they don't say anything interesting about them. They don't riff on them in an interesting way. They don't say anything. They just watch someone else's video, and then maybe they go, "That's wild," and that'll get 50 million views, and they, it's like 100 million dollars, like a multimillionaire is doing that. That's how cheap fame is, and also, and also how splintered and fractured it is. So you can have someone with like hundreds of millions of fans, and yet outside of that bubble, no one even has even heard of that person. So that's the world we live in now, and that's part of the reason why there actually will never be another king of pop. So I say that in, in, a, in a certain way in, in, you know, in defense of the critics here, although still Michael Jackson was a child raping pedophile. So, all right. One other thing I want to mention before we get to the comment section and um, probably the most important piece of footage I can play for you today. This was a video taken at a baseball game. Um, let's get this up on the screen. So this is a guy, not a lot of explanation. We don't know who this guy is. We don't know where he comes from, but go ahead and play the video. All we know is that he was sitting there, he got a hot dog at the baseball game, and he uses a straw to hollow out the hot dog. And then look at what he does next. Dear God in heaven, he uses the hot dog as a straw in the beer. No shame at all. No shame. You know, he doesn't care that people are, he's, he's like, you know, it, it, you, would, you would think at the very least, if you're the kind of person who drinks beer through a hot dog straw, I don't know if that's really a kind of person, there's just like, there's just one of them, but you would think that you, you kind of, he'd be looking around to make sure that nobody's watching him do this. Um, that's like, right, that's me. Anytime I, if I do something even mildly unusual in public, I'm kind of looking Right, but but he's got no shame. He's just he's just this is how he enjoys the the beer. You have to respect that to a certain extent. And people are making fun of this guy. You know, he's getting mocked all over the internet. But don't don't judge this man. We don't we don't know his reasons. Okay, we don't really know. No one has stopped and asked him. And not only that, 
you take away the plastic straws and then you judge a man for what he has, what's he's, what he's forced to do. Of course, that doesn't really work because you could just, and you should just drink the beer without a straw. And also he did have a straw that he used to make the hot dog straw. But still, I'm just, you know, my point is we, we, have, we have created a lot of confusion in the straw area. And so I think that's part of what leads to situations like this. All right, let's get to the comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. Matt's pronunciation of Takiria was almost as good as Dr. Jill Biden's pronunciation of the word bodega. How are you supposed to pronounce it? I don't know. How do you pronounce this word? Does anyone know? Control room, do you know? Takiria? Takiria? What is a Takiria? Anyone know? What is it? Taco shop. taco shop. Okay, like I'm supposed to know that? Taco shop. Oh, taco shop. Okay, fine. So the voice of God was speaking to me to correct me. Uh, so, no, no, no. Okay, don't, don't give me that. I, there was a lot of comments. Like every comment was because I mispronounced that word. So I'm supposed to know how to, how to pronounce that? Like is, that's a, is, that a, is that a common household term? Really? Do you go around in your house? Talking about taqueria? If you want to go get a taco, do you say, oh, I'm going to the Mexican place to get a taco? Or do you say, I'm going to the taqueria? No, you don't say that. So don't judge me for this. First you judge the guy with the hot dog straw, and now you judge me. Um, Vol Princess says, when life gives you snakes, make dinner. Uh, when that, well, that needs to be on a t-shirt. Oh, that's quoting me. Yeah, when life gives you snakes, make dinner. I did say that. Uh, that needs to be on a t-shirt. I, I agree that maybe, maybe we should make a t-shirt. That's, that, that's an inspirational slogan that is meaningful, not just to my, to my son, but uh, I think to all of us. And speaking of the Daily Wire shop, by the way, those who are watching on the video podcast, you can see this sticker that I have on the back of my laptop here. This is our um, What is a Woman definition, circular definition sticker. So a woman is someone who identifies as a woman going around in circles forever and ever. Uh, and if you want that sticker, they are for sale at the Daily Wire shop right now, the Matt Walsh store. Uh, go to dailywire.com slash shop, and you can find it there. Let's see. Scott says, Matt, you know you're going to have to name one of your new sons Hugh Jarsel Walsh. And while you're at it, name the other one Scott to honor your biggest fan. How dare you? These are my children you're talking about. Although I will suggest that to my wife because she's going to be so annoyed. And it'll be funny. Steve-O says, Matt's pronunciation of Greenwich as Greenwich bothered me at first. A man with Matt's intelligence should know it's Greenwich, but then I laughed knowing that Matt Walsh makes no mistakes. Yeah, that's the other one. So every comment was, hey, you didn't pronounce Takiria right, or you, you, you mispronounced Greenwich Village. Look, look, it is spelled Greenwich. That's how it's spelled, and that's how I pronounce it, all right? I am correct. Everyone else is wrong. Everyone in, in New York, we call it Greenwich Village. You're all wrong. That's not how it's pronounced. It's just not how those, that's not what, that's not the sound that those letters make. I'm sorry. I hate to tell you that. And there's nothing more annoying than people who expect you to know local pronunciations. Because any, any, anytime you go anywhere, right, they've got weird ways of pronouncing some of their, some of their towns that don't really, don't really make any sense. And then if you don't pronounce it correctly, everyone judges you. How did you just pronounce that? Well, I don't live here, okay? I didn't know that that's your, your stupid way of, of pronouncing it. How am I supposed to know that? Now, I know the response is, well, but it's New York. 
It's everyone should know. I don't care. It's not special. I don't care about that. It's, it's not relevant to me. Oh, New York is so important. No, it's not. It's not. Get over yourself. Okay. Um, the wifey says, Matt, you and my husband are the exact same with names. We have three boys. Boy names are hard to pick. And anytime I would ask my husband for name suggestions, he'd just look around him and start naming things. Me, I would say, let's talk about baby names. Him, grass, stop sign, roundabout. Yeah, that's, I also do the same thing. Uh, it's a good, it's a, it's a good, it's a, it's a good bit, I think. And you know what? There is some tradition to that. Like that's, uh, some Native American cultures, you know, that's how they would name traditionally their uh, children. Um, if they, if a baby was born and then they looked out into the forest and they saw a deer bounding through the forest, they would name the child bounding deer, deer or something like that, right? Running deer, right? Um, so there's some tradition, I think, to that. Of course, it, you can't really apply that to babies that are born in a hospital very kind of sterile environment because then all the babies will be named, you know, scalpel and chair and that sort of thing. Uh, another comment says, Matt, I have to remind you of a Republican virtue, personal freedom. If the Finnish PM wants to party, it's no one's business to criticize that publicly. However, what she, do, what she did was incredibly naive. Next time she might get laid by a Russian spy and be compromised forever. Hopefully she'll be more careful in the future. Yeah, a couple of problems here. First of all, isn't criticizing someone part of personal freedom? So if my value is supposed to be the Republican virtue is allegedly personal freedom, then isn't that part of personal freedom that I can criticize you? That's free speech. But also, I don't agree that that's the great principle sort of Republican virtue is personal freedom. We certainly need a lot of qualification on that. What do you mean by freedom exactly? Because if what you mean is that as Republicans, we're supposed to believe that everyone can just do whatever they want without criticism, if that's what you mean by freedom, personal freedom, which appears to be what you mean, then no, that is not, that's not the, that, that is not and certainly should not be the Republican viewpoint. That's basically what you hear from the left. That's what, that is their vision of freedom is just do whatever you want, especially sexually. And um, not only should you not be prevented from doing it, but no one should even criticize you for doing it. That's freedom according to them. And uh, finally, Judson Gordy says, if your barista is good, they deserve a tip. Lots of skill behind making a good latte and uh, they make good art. All right, I, I, don't, I don't deny that, that you know, it, it, it takes skill to be a good barista, but do they not receive a paycheck already? Is the barista not already paid for that skill? Isn't that what the salary is for, or if they're making an hourly wage, they're getting paid something already. So that's already built in. And the fact that the company has to pay a salary to the employees, that's also built into the price of the thing that I'm buying. So I'm already helping to pay. By paying for my coffee, I am helping to pay the salary of the barista already. So then it's like, well, you want an extra tip if they do a really good job, but that's I expect that. I expect you to do a really good job. Your boss should expect that. That's, 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 re that's required. It's like when my kids 
clean their room and do a really good job. And they say, oh, can I have a, a treat because I did a good job cleaning my room? No, you can't. This is what you're supposed to do. The only other option is to be lazy and to do a, and to do a lackadaisical job cleaning the room and just stuff things under the bed and think I won't notice. But that's unacceptable. So by doing a good job cleaning the room, you are just doing the, ex- the only acceptable thing. And so I would say if you're a barista and you're getting paid to do that for a living, the only acceptable option is to do your best and uh, provide good service to your customers. I don't see why there should be an extra payment on top of that. Corporate media not only controls what they want you to know, but their agenda means the news is presented to you in a biased way. You know, we all know that. I know it. You know, we all know it. Thankfully, there's a way to get the most important news of the day without their narrative, and that's by listening to one of the top news podcasts, Morning Wire. New episodes are available every morning, seven days a week, and they cover stories other media outlets won't touch. Check out Morning Wire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Daily Wire Plus, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Do it right now. In the meantime, now let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, it's the kind of video we've all seen many times before. This time, it's YouTuber, uh, YouTuber by the name of James Klug walking around Los Angeles asking young people, most of them college-aged, basic questions about American history, civics, and geography. And given that the questions are extremely simple and rudimentary, everyone is able to answer them easily, and we're all left feeling pretty good about the future of our country. The end. Just kidding, of course. None of them can answer the questions, and we're once again reminded that we are, as an as a civilization hurtling towards a certain destruction, which will be brought about largely by our own stupidity and ignorance. Now, now we know basically how these uh, dumb guy on the street videos go. And yet, with each new entry in this burgeoning genre, the results are no less shocking and depressing. So let's all watch together and then weep. How many stars are on the United States flag? 103. 103? Yeah. Um, 32. Uh, what ocean is on the east side of the United States? What ocean? Can I Google it? <laughs> you guys know this. I know this. I don't know this. What country is the Queen of England from? I'm not a politics guy. Man. I ain't gonna lie. I don't know. I really don't know. Just take a guess. Like, what country is the Queen of England from? Europe. I don't. Guess. What's the capital of the United States? Um, the, um, there's a capital? <laughs> what? Yes. Lexi! <laughs> Take a guess. Um, um, I don't know. Uh, probably California. Yeah, that's right. It is? No. The United States, do we know? Stop! I knew he was gonna embarrass us! I know, do we? I don't even want to think because I don't want to sound dumb. Well, just, uh, there's no capital of the yeah, United literally, States. Yeah, literally, isn't it? Just, is there no capital? Correct. Was that right? <laughs> no. Oh, f- <laughs> You guys are UCLA students? We literally students? go to UCLA. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Who was the first president of the United States? Abraham Lincoln. Can you name the uh, three Kardashian sisters? Uh, Kim, Courtney, and Chloe. What are the three Kardashian sisters' names? Courtney, Kim, and Chloe. Chloe, Kim, Courtney, and Courtney. Yeah. Bonus points for the brother? Um, Robert. Okay. Well, they know something then, at least. Uh, okay, you know, the video actually goes on for over eight minutes, but you get the idea. It's hard to pick one moment as a favorite from uh, that one and a half minute clip there. Perhaps it's the fact that these people not only can't name the capital of the United States, but they refuse to believe that we even have one. 
Or maybe it's the fact that uh, they've somehow lived their entire lives up until this point without knowing about the Atlantic Ocean. Or maybe it's the girl who said, and I quote, I don't want to think because I don't want to sound dumb. She apparently doesn't realize that not wanting to think is exactly what's gotten into her, into her, got her into this mess to begin with. But you can't expect self-awareness from stupid people. That's um, one of the reasons why morons always end up humiliating themselves in these kinds of videos. Because you, you, you might think that they would at least know that they don't know anything and would thus decline to be quizzed on trivia in front of a camera. But then again, as Socrates observed, knowing how little you know is wisdom. And these people are anything but wise. Now, it's easy enough to see this sort of thing and dismiss it as cherry-picked and sensationalist. Surely they spoke to people who answered all the questions with ease and therefore didn't make the final cut. And maybe that's true, you know, sure. But the fact remains that anyone can grab a camera, as we've seen, and a microphone, and they can walk down any busy street in any city or across any college campus, and they can run into an endless stream of drooling idiots who despite being highly educated on paper, are so mind-numbingly stupid that my five-year-old would make a better Jeopardy contestant than they would. It's also the case that these people exist and they're walking around in droves in spite of the fact that every piece of simple, basic knowledge they don't possess is readily available to them in the information age. They can't recite the most fundamental facts about the geography of their own country, for example, even though they carry around in their pockets a device that can, in an instant give them access to highly detailed satellite imagery of every nook and cranny of the country and the world. They can look at Antarctica if they want to. They can pull out their smartphones. I wonder what's going on in the South Pole right now and just and look at it, which is something that I often do. I check on the South Pole just because, like, why not? It's, it's a, it's a fa- if you're going to have this stupid phone camera, the fact that you could just pull out your phone and look at satellite imagery, imagery of the entire planet, is, is, that's, a, that's awesome. Why not make use of that? Well, they've never done that, no, because they, no, they have no curiosity about the world. Instead, they're just looking at TikTok videos. You know, they can actually see the entire country, and yet they know less about it than the average American in the year 1802, back before the Lewis and Clark expedition had even reached the Pacific Ocean. The Pacific Ocean, by the way, ladies, is the one on the west side. It's the one that you were right next to in Los Angeles. People knew more about what the world looked like at a time when every map was speculative and wrong. That's the reality. And we know that people are this stupid, not just because of YouTube videos, but because Every survey, poll, or study done on the subject has verified it. Americans are, it's a fact, woefully ignorant about history, geography, civics, everything. Proven by all the available data. And the problem only gets worse with each successive generation, even as each successive generation is more educated than the last. Consider this. Gen Z is the most educated generation in the history of the world. And yet they don't know anything. So to emphasize again, those women in the video are current UCLA students accepted into the school, will surely graduate with honors probably, and yet they don't even know that the United States has a capital, much less can they name it. So what are the takeaways here? Too many to list, but I'll give two. To start with, I'm going to climb back up on my familiar soapbox and once again declare that the greatest threat to our democracy is the fact that so many people are allowed to participate in it. We have too many people voting. 
The people in that video know absolutely nothing about the country they live in or its political system, and yet they're allowed to participate in that system, and their voice counts just as much as yours or mine. We might as well give voting rights to animals at the zoo or vegetables at the produce section at the grocery store if we're going to give them to the sorts of idiots who can't tell you which ocean resides directly to our east. The idea that voting is a right which comes with no responsibilities at all is total madness. Every right carries responsibilities. Everyone needs to understand this. And the responsibility of voting, the most essential responsibility of all, is to maintain a basic level of awareness and engagement. If you can't do that, or you don't want to do it, then there's no reason why you should be permitted to vote. Why should we? And you can't vote, actually. Even when you do vote, you're not really voting. You're just tossing darts at the broad side of a barn with your eyes closed. If you're going to let abject morons vote, you might as well just let, you know, let blind people obtain driver's licenses while we're at it. It's exactly the same sort of thing. Second takeaway. I am tempted to say that the education system is a failure because of stuff like this, but that wouldn't be exactly right. Now, it's true that the system, um, it's a system which, which the youngest generation is filtered through over the course of a decade and a half or even longer, and yet they come out on the other end of it knowing absolutely nothing at all. So at first glance, the education system seems like an enormously expensive piece of factory assembly line equipment meant to make chairs or something, and yet all it does is spit out hunks of wood and plastic on the other end. It takes the raw material and produces a mangled pile of the same raw material. In the case of the factory equipment, you would just junk the whole thing and, uh, and eat the cost and rework your entire chair-making process. So it seems that we should do the same thing with the education system, and we should. The education system is a catastrophe and should be ripped down to the studs and rebuilt from scratch but it's not a failure technically. The reason it's not a failure is that our modern education system is not trying to create knowledgeable, intelligent, uh, mature, responsible Americans. That's not what it's trying to do. If it were trying to do that, then we could rightly say that it has failed in spectacular fashion, but that's not the education system's goal. It is instead, by design and intention, simply an ideological indoctrination mechanism meant to create disciples of the leftist religion who will also be docile, compliant, easily manipulated serfs, useful to the, to the ruling regime. Those people in the video, stupid, pathetic, oblivious, are exactly the sorts of people the system is trying to create. It is not a failure. It is a resounding success. The machine is functioning smoothly and with great efficiency. And that is all the more reason why it needs to be demolished. And that is why ultimately, in light of that video, everybody in it, but also the education system itself, is today canceled. And that'll do it for the, this section of the show as we move over to the members block of the show. And uh, if you're not a member yet, go to dailywire.com, become a member, and we'll see you over there. If not, Godspeed.